catch the wake of St. Paddy's Day and we're celebrating by perpetuating a stereotype by talking about bear. And perhaps we'll even stop doing a bad Irish accent by the time the intro is over. You just never know. It's the Benefit Oda Down podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of the Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam O'Dowd, and this week, first and foremost, we're going to drop the Irish accent, but not before we have the opportunity to say farty far, because it's just fun to say farty far. And that's a shout out to my friend Wally. Okay, I'm sorry about all that. I get carried away with things, but in my defense... That's kind of why this podcast exists, and that's why I now own a Samsung Galaxy Fold 2 review coming out later this year. But what I'm not taking too far is beer, because during CES I had the opportunity to talk to Beer Maker, which doesn't have as many vowels as you may think. Beer Maker takes the homebrew process and makes it connected and about as simple as you can make it. Plus, we've got a set of earbuds from Hecate, which is a sub-brand of Edifier. These earbuds have been my daily drivers for several weeks now, and I'm ready to talk about them. And we'll get to all that, but first, we have to get to the news of the week. This week saw an unfortunate bug on Twitter that suspended any account for 12 hours if they attempted to tweet the word Memphis. Presumably these people were talking about the city in Tennessee, but I hope there was at least one Gone in 60 Seconds reference in there somewhere. Twitter soon resolved the bug and restored the accounts in question, except for the one that was tweeting about Gone in 60 Seconds. Twitter wanted them to take the opportunity to go watch a better movie, and listen up, Twitter, I resent that. Gone in 60 Seconds is a fine film with a car chase at the end that's better than Bullet. Come at me, bro! Anyway, Twitter won't say what caused the bug, but presumably it was a bot or a filter gone haywire. Unless, of course, Twitter actually has something against Memphis, which is hard to imagine. I've never been, but I've driven through it, and it seems like a nice enough little city. Home to Graceland, as I understand it, and that's a big deal for some people that aren't me. And it's the birthplace of FedEx and the Piggly Wiggly, one of which I use fairly regularly. But now, it's okay. Twitter has given up on its feud with the pork barbecue capital of the world. Netflix has always been rather laissez-faire about password sharing, but that may be coming to an end. Netflix has been testing a feature that detects potential password sharers and double-checks that the person watching Netflix is supposed to be. I've said on my podcast before that I typically don't share any passwords for any of my streaming accounts except Netflix, and that I share with my mom because it's my mom, dude. But when the password sharers get a message suspecting them of foul play, it says, quote, If you don't live with the owner of this account, you need to get your own account to keep watching. Just because you've made bad decisions in your life doesn't mean you have to drag the account holder down with you. I'm kidding about the second part, but Netflix, bro, chill. It's my mom, dude. There's no word on whether or not this will lead to a widening crackdown on password sharing. I mean, I'm paying for four streams, which is why it's really none of Netflix's business who I let watch when and where. But then, this is one of those spirit-of-the-law types of situations. Obviously, Netflix wants you only sharing your password with your roommates, not your ex-girlfriends. I get that, but still, Netflix, chill. 
Alas, poor HomePod, we barely knew ye. Or at least very few people knew ye, because ye cost like $400 or whatever, and the only assistant you had built in was Siri. Nobody wants to pay $400 for Siri. And it turns out people will barely pay $99 for Siri on the HomePod Mini, so Apple really shot the HomePod in the foot with the HomePod Mini. Still, it isn't all bad, except for the, you know, the Siri part. By all reports, the HomePod Mini looks and sounds pretty good. At least it looks good enough for Amazon to have copied it with its latest Echo Dot. The HomePod will remain for sale while supplies last, which is probably going to be for several years at this point, extrapolating the current rate of HomePod adoption. So it's not like there's going to be a shortage anytime soon. It's just that Apple won't be making them anymore. So if anything, oh God, they're going to get more expensive. Eh, good luck with that, Apple. Some of the coolest things we have in technology today come as an almost direct result of NASA and space exploration. You want to know why computers went from being multi-room contraptions to desktop models? It's largely because NASA wanted to put a computer into space and had to figure out how to make it much smaller so it would fit on a rocket. They say necessity is the mother of invention. Well, so are budgets and accounting departments. NASA is now working on commercializing some of the innovations it comes up with in order to help pay some of its bills here on Earth, which honestly, what took them so long? One of their first ventures is with a startup called Smart, which will be designing and selling metal tires. That's M-E-T-L, by the way. The tires will be made of what's called a shape memory alloy. It's basically a metal that always springs back to its predefined shape. I've also linked to a Verge Science video that covers the tech, and it's a really cool video, so be sure to check that out on benefitofadow.com. So, these metal tires were originally designed for future Mars rover missions. They're cool because they're basically a series of interconnected springs that always spring back to their original shape, regardless of the pressure that they're put under. Smart wants to make bike tires to start, and eventually automotive tires that don't go flat and don't require air. Sign me up, am I right? Plus, the CEO is a Survivor Fiji winner, Earl Cole, so... I guess he's got some street credit, too. Honestly, I was kind of surprised to hear that Survivor was still a thing, but here we are. And here's something completely not creepy at all. You remember Soli? That was the radar thing on the Pixel 4 that didn't work and utterly destroyed battery life. Well, shoot, they developed the tech, so they got to do something with it, and unfortunately, they found something. Google's new Nest Hub will have Soli built into it, which will watch while you sleep and try to help improve your overall sleep. Yeah, I just said that. So the Google Nest Hub does not have a camera, so that's something, but it does have a microphone and an all-new radar system, so go ahead and put that right by your bed, huh? If you can get past the creepiness factor, the technology is actually potentially kind of cool, it's going to use that radar sensing and sound and a new temperature sensor to tell you how you're sleeping and what could be affecting your sleep. Does your room get a little hot at night? Soli will tell you. Does your sleep change when the sun comes up? Soli will tell you. And I mean, that's all well and good, but just no, Google. Bad Google. No cookie. And here's a story that I find to be completely delightful. Justin Long, famous for portraying the Mac in the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercials. And side note, I went back and watched some of those, and A, they're pretty funny, and B, there were a lot of them. 
Anyway, Justin Long is now playing for the other team, in this case Intel, with a commercial aimed solely at the Mac. Maybe because of the M1 chip? Hmm, I wonder definitely. So, the new commercial looks at an Intel-powered 2-in-1, and Justin marvels that the computer is a tablet and a computer. And then he moves over to the Mac, and, well, you know, it's not a tablet and computer. You get the idea. Personally, I always giggle when a competitor hires the original iconic actor from their competition's commercials. I giggled a lot when Sprint hired the Can You Hear Me Now guy from Verizon commercials. Yes, it's cheap, and it's max of desperation, and yes, shortly after those commercials aired, Sprint ceased to exist. But it's funny, and really, everyone should do this always, because I love it. Except for the fact that it's cheap and it's max of desperation, but by golly, it's a good time. Samsung had another unpacked event this month, this time for its mid-range series of phones. Specifically, Samsung launched the Galaxy A52, the Galaxy A52 5G, and the Galaxy A72. They're all powered by the Qualcomm 700 series processors, and all of them have a quad camera setup. Only one of them, the A52 5G, supports, wait for it, 5G! All of the phones have a 90Hz refresh rate on their FHD Plus screens. But the big news came from Samsung saying that it might not release a Note series this year. Semiconductor shortages, which by the way are getting kind of bad, might cause Samsung to question the wisdom of releasing two flagship phones in the same year. That makes sense, and the Galaxy Ultra is just as good as any Note that they could possibly put out, sans the embedded S Pen. But this semiconductor shortage is becoming a bit of a problem, and I kind of wonder if it's worth a segment on this alone in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that, but in the meantime, there's a good chance that we will not be getting a Note this year. Speaking of Samsung, ZDNet takes a look at phone ownership and how things are getting kind of bad for Samsung and for Google. A survey of 5,000 people by CellCell, the service where you can sell your old phone, they asked people who would be switching to a different brand when they got a new phone. Apple users had a 92% brand loyalty rate, which is pretty damn good. Samsung's brand loyalty dropped to about 74%, which sounds okay until ZDNet points out that that means that one quarter of your customers are leaving, and yeah, I guess that actually kind of sucks. Moving over to Pixel owners, and you're looking at a 35% brand loyalty, and just ouch, Google. Maybe one of these days Google's going to figure out how to sell smartphones. Today, not that day. But two sobering statistics that came out of here say that of the 24% of people leaving Samsung, just over half of those are moving to an iPhone. And half of those leftovers said that they would be buying Pixels, so good for you, Google, I guess. But that's not even the most sobering statistic. The most sobering statistic, and just about everybody should panic here, is that 89% of teenagers said that they would be getting an iPhone as their next phone. And one of the first rules of salesmanship is get them while they're young. So yeah, just about anybody making an Android phone should be paying attention to this survey. And let's finish off our news with some positive news coming out this week. LG's rollable phone received its Bluetooth SIG certifications this week, and generally you don't certify a device for things unless you plan to actually sell it. 
There are basically no details about the rollable except that it got certified, but it still seems that LG might not be hanging up its spikes after all. Tech Radar points out that most of the rumors surrounding LG's closure of its smartphone division have been just that, rumors. Of course, the fact that it's approaching April and LG hasn't even whispered about a new phone yet doesn't look great. But LG's global head of corporate communications, Ken Hong, called these rumors completely without merit, which is nice, but again, actions speak louder than words. Personally, I've made my feelings clear about LG, and I love what LG has done in the past two years or so. Starting with the V50 and moving up from there, LG has been killing it and getting better generation after generation. And I would be excited to see what LG is going to do next, and it looks like we might just find out after all. This week saw the release of two of the more hotly anticipated comic book turned streaming adventures, the Snyder Cut of the Justice League and the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've watched the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the first 10 minutes of a Snyder Cut. I'm taking a little vacation next week, so one of those days will be dedicated to the Snyder Cut, and it has to be the day because it's four goddamn hours long. Four hours for a movie that most people have already seen. I thought The Irishman was bad. I don't know anything about the film, but it doesn't fill me with hope that in, spoiler alert, if you want to skip ahead 30 seconds at this point, if you don't want to hear it, go ahead. But the movie seems to start off with one of those tired, lazy, let's show the ending, then show a caption of 48 hours earlier, and build up the suspense crap that CBS shows pull all the time. You know, when the show opens with a dramatic car chase, and you're all wondering why Steve McGarrett is bleeding in the back of an SUV while they're chasing down some bad guy, and then there's a crash and then you see 24 hours earlier and Steve McGarrett is just showing up for work. I hate that crap because it's tired and lazy and just don't do it. And if you're going to make your movie four hours long, at least don't be lazy. Getting back to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, this show follows the adventures of two of Captain America's closest friends now that they're in a post-Captain America world. There's a lot of action and some cool backstory, and I like how The Verge points out that the show, which is set after Endgame, of course, starts asking all those questions that people have asked during the other movies about, like, the day-to-day -day stuff that goes on in Avengers' lives, like, what do Avengers do when the world doesn't need saving? How do you explain a five-year time gap in your resume if you were blinked out of existence? How will financial institutions be able to handle 3.5 billion with a B people suddenly reappearing and needing money? And the show blows things up, so it's really the best of both worlds. Episode 1 was good, and like WandaVision, we'll be getting one episode per week. So, enjoy. And finally, Porsche jumped onto the EV bandwagon with the Taycan, and this week it put together a nice little road trip with Bill and Ted, a.k.a. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, driving from Santa Barbara to Carson, California. It's a little over 100 miles. There are a few stops along the way where Bill and Ted can test lunch mode, air quotes, climbing hills, and finally drifting around a skid circle at the Porsche Experience Center. The Porsche Taycan holds the Guinness World Record for the longest drift from a battery-powered electric vehicle at 26.1 miles, which I think is just one-tenth short of a marathon, so you can imagine that's kind of impressive. Overall, it's really just a fun video with Keanu and Alex just hanging out and being buds even if they're not in their Bill and Ted personas. I've linked it in the show notes and on benefitofadow.com, so I hope you'll give it a look. And as always, party on, dudes. 
Backend application API bugs attachment DevOps backend frameworks backward compiled oriented natural language software blue text editor bookmark Boolean web server welcome to Tech Yeah. This week for Tech Yeah, we're looking at a set of earbuds that I got from Edifier. Hecate is a sub-brand of Edifier focused on gaming, and these earbuds are designed for gaming. That becomes fairly obvious when you take in a few aspects about the buds. First of all, they come with a lanyard and a rubber sheath which holds the earbuds case, and it feels like something you'd wear at a gaming convention. Second, when you open the earbuds case, RGB stripes up either side of the case light up and it's kind of a neat effect. These are true wireless earbuds that charge with USB Type-C, no wireless charging I'm afraid. The case is a grey riverstone kind of feel to it that's encased in a clear polycarbonate bubble. The case opens up at a round Hecate seal on the front and the earbuds slide out. They look a lot like most true wireless earbuds with the stems that serve as antennas and touch triggers. The buds sit in the case magnetically. Hecate claims the buds will last around 8 hours on a single charge and that seems consistent with my testing. And there's another 32 hours in the charging case, meaning you've got a full work week in these buds and that's impressive. I confess I never wore them for 8 hours to fully test that, but in the 3 weeks I've had these buds, I've never had to charge the case, so these things last, let me tell you. The sound stage is pretty good. I'm not going to say great, but pretty solidly in the good category. The only area I noticed a drop off in in the audio was in the deep bass that you get in the dubstep kind of song, like a really boom, 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 boom. These buds don't do that. I used the buds mostly to listen to podcasts, so I didn't really miss that too much, but I could imagine them being less than ideal for some games. But for the most part, if you're using these things to communicate between yourself and other gamers, these are just fine. If you're looking for music listening, look elsewhere. The buds sit in your earlobes, but do not go into the ear canal. You get at best a partial seal, which means you basically get no isolation. That can be a problem depending on your needs. I wear earbuds often when I'm driving or biking, so in that way, these are good since I need to be aware of my surroundings. If you're looking for isolation so that you can get lost in your tunes, that's not a great thing. For gamers, it's probably just okay. There's nothing really in games that requires a ton of isolation for getting lost in the sound of the game. While I can see why a gamer might want to do that, I'm a father of a 14-year-old who I constantly have to call to the dinner table, so I'm kind of glad that he's not immersed. Latency on these buds is really good. Many true wireless earbuds see a lot of latency when watching videos. I don't see that here, or at least I don't see it enough to bother me, and that's saying a lot. Little things like audio being out of sync really bothers me, so these things don't, so I'm putting this in the win column. The stems on the earbuds are touch pads as well. You can skip tracks and play and pause music with taps and double taps. I found the touch areas to be just okay. They're better than most earbuds I've tested in terms of registering touches, but you have to be very precise when you're tapping them. There is a learning curve for sure. You can't adjust volume by tapping. That's a bummer, but I deal with it. 
One minor annoyance I found was that that circular seal that I mentioned at the top of the review, well that seal opens with the top of the earbuds case and it kind of gets in the way trying to remove and replace the buds. Maybe it won't be a problem for you, but for my sausage fingers, that presented a bit of a problem. Really, it's just a poor design choice and it shouldn't have been made. So where does that leave us? Well, if you're a gamer, these are decent buds. I'm not positive they earn the $80 price tag that they command on Amazon right now, but they're close. I mean, 40 hours of battery life is damn impressive, so that alone might be worth the price of admission for you. The seal getting in the way of the buds bothers me. The lack of super low-end bass doesn't bother me as much, but it still kind of bothers me. I would think for $80, I would want at least one of those two problems solved, but maybe neither of them will bother you. There are a lot of bad true wireless earbuds out there. These are not one of them. They are good, and they're even very good in many ways. They're not the best out there, but for this price, they're definitely decent, and I can respect that. There's a link in the show notes and on the article on benefitofadow.com, and if you want to check them out, as always, if you pick some up, I might get a small commission at no extra cost to you, and you'll have my thanks. And now, on with the show. Our next guest on the podcast aims to bring smart beer making to the international beer making scene. He was a University of Georgia grad before getting his MBA at Cornell. He's a co-founder and CEO of Beer Maker, which is a connected, smart, homebrew beer maker that dramatically simplifies the homebrew beer making process. And today he's here to talk about it. Aaron Walls, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, you and I, uh, I'm going to use air quotes, met at CES. I heard about you at CES. And um, um, I, your, your, your device just seemed really interesting to me. Um, now, I have, to, I have to confess, I'm a Scotchman myself, so I don't, don't do the beer all that much. But when I, you know, when I do, it's usually like really super generic, like Coors Light or something. So you'll have to forgive my ignorance in the beer making industry. Um, but it just, it just seemed like I know people that do homebrew, and I know I, you know, I've, I've heard about a lot of homebrew experiences, but this just seemed to kind of notch it up in, extra, in the extra level. So what I want to start off with, and and I want to definitely want to make sure I start off with this because I usually start off my interviews by not doing this. I want you to go ahead and explain kind of what Beer Maker is and so that the audience knows what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So Beer Maker is an all-in-one countertop craft brewing system that anybody can use. You toss your ingredients into the top, and they can be anything you want to brew with. You can use uh, barley, rice, whatnot. We, we also include um, ingredient kits that are of all kinds of styles, IPs, stouts, lagers, whatnot. And then you just toss your ingredients in, fill it with water, hit a button on the app, and then you go about your day. It takes about five minutes to set it up. And Beer Maker takes your beer entirely through the brewing process from the heating of the hot side where it creates all of these uh, sugars that are fermentable by the yeast. And then uh, it cools it down for you. And when you pitch your yeast and you add your hops, it perfectly controls the fermentation temperature in a 100% sealed environment. So what that means to the layperson is you get the same degree of safety and control that a commercial brewery has, but it all happens on your countertop and it's 
happens through an automated system that has sensors and um, essentially cloud interaction where the cloud manages the brew of your beer and uh, doesn't force you to. So the end result is a beer that's done in about a week or two, and it has the same level of um, you know uh, 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 maturity and um, expertise of execution as you would find in a commercial brewing environment. But you get to do it without any of that experience because the machine handles it for you, and you can add whatever ingredients you want, and the machine will automatically make um, changes on the fly based on those um, changes that you put into the system to begin with. So let's say you wanted to use strawberries from your backyard garden. Do it. Just throw them in, and the machine will see what the additional yeast product or the, what the additional uh, CO2 production is by the yeast, and will adjust your fermentation time uh, accordingly. Oh, that's really cool. So now, actually, my next question was going to be, how does app connectivity or cloud connectivity help in the brewing process? But you kind of already touched on that a little bit. So um, when you so now this does connect to an app on your smartphone. And uh, does it send like push notifications when it's like time to do stuff? Or how does that work? Exactly. So there are anywhere between three and five major steps that you as the brewer have to take. There's putting your ingredients in and then coming back to pitch yeast. And then if you have a dry hopping step, it'll, you need to come back for that. And then um, there's also a, you know, finishing up and you transfer it over to your uh, refrigerator when you're done. So all of those steps will, um, they're controlled via push notifications and you'll get a notification on your phone and says, Hey, it's time to add dry hops tap here. And it, We'll open up a, a set of instructions with a video. It shows you exactly how you put your dry hops in. Um, and then throughout the process, you know, you'll, you'll see it progress in the app of like, okay, my next up is a, you know, it's, it's uh, my coffee edition because I'm brewing a coffee stout. So, um, and it'll right. show me the date that I need to do that on. It's like, all right, that's going to happen on Tuesday. Great. I'll do it after work. You know, so it, it gives yeah. you all the tools to plan it out in a very easy-to-digest way. Cool. Now, uh, you when uh, when we first started talking, you moved down into your your, your developmental lab. So um, you're surrounded by beer makers as we speak. And, and uh, you know, this is an audio podcast, so obviously people aren't going to see that. But it's kind of cool to see kind of like the line of, of machines behind you. Is this where you develop? Because I know you... In addition to selling the beer maker machine, you also sell like custom kits and things like that, so people can make their make their own beers. Are you standing in the lab where you develop new recipes? Yes, yes, we are, and that's what's so much fun about this too, because it takes you know just a couple minutes to set a recipe up. You can do so many iterations of one particular recipe and get it dialed. And around me, I think we have something like 20, 25 machines that are just. Mm-hmm just churning on different iterations of recipes and it's 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 phenomenal so we can we can really dial those in and our ability to to quickly create new recipes um to four people is is incredibly is incredibly robust 
Cool. And you also mentioned um, earlier in your description that you can throw in whatever recipes you want, so or r- whatever ingredients you want, I should say. So now is there, and again, forgive my ignorance on the uh, the homebrew process, but is there like a, um, I-, I would imagine there's a certain number of steps that happen in every in every brew but then there's the the variety comes from the type of ingredients that you throw in there so now beer maker can adapt to any ingredients that you decide to add whether it's additional i'm and i'm making stuff up here so if what i say is stupid that's kind of how i roll so you can put in additional hops or you can add a different kind of yeast or something like that and beer maker will adjust to all of that yep exactly so there there are two sets of controls that are happening right so there are the machine controls where the beer maker will see what the yeast are doing and will make changes to that in real time and also what the temperature is of the batch and then obviously be able to cycle the heating or cooling on depending on what the optimal profile is for the yeast at that time frame. And then there is the recipe setup side where you know we have the tools within the app where you can say, all right, I'm going to make a custom recipe and I'm going to put a whole bunch of... Um, you know, a whole bunch of extra barley in it. And then it'll say, great, you're going to put all this extra barley in, then here's your new water level. Um, or, you know, here are all of the hops I want to put into it. And say, like, great, then, you know, this is, this, is the, this is the full package of how you need to now start your beer. And here are the set of notifications you're going to get because you made these options. So that's, that's, a, huge, that's a huge piece because, I mean, as you noted, beer making is just this, uh, it, it's, it's so much you can, Hmm. it's like cooking, right? You can cook anything. And there are so many different processes to cook and it's going to be one part, the chef, and then one part, the equipment that you're using to cook, right? So ovens will do really fun things like monitor the temperature and, you know, even have probes in. So it knows when your turkey is at the right temperature, then cut it off. You know, beer maker is similar in that, that it's a, it's a system that has a handful of really incredible controls when it comes to temperature and um, off-gassing by the yeast that will give it the correct environment. But it's also up to you, the brewer, if you're going out on your own and you're going to say, I'm going to make this totally new beer out of wild yeast that I cultured from, you know, from my backyard, which by the way, is a thing that people will do. It's a spontaneous fermentation where they pull their local yeast out of the air and they ferment with that. So you can seriously do the same thing with Beer Maker and Beer Maker will be able to catch up to it. But you'll also have to know what temperatures that um, that yeast like to be at. So that's part of you, mm. the chef, who is adding your personal flair to it. And then the machine is going to give you all the tools to do it. And at the same time, there are the, let's call it the known yeasts that we have in the world made by incredible manufacturers like Fermentis and White Labs and Y-Yeast. And we know what their temperature profiles are, and they're actually loaded up in our app as well. So you say, I'm going to make a high-gravity beer with the Chico strain from Fermentis. It's like, all right, you did that, and now here's here's the temperature profile for it, and the machine will, will hit it and make adjustments based on the ingredients that you put in if that increases the gravity of it or decreases the gravity awesome awesome so now home brewing has been uh, a fairly well-established uh practice for a long time and i'm kind of curious i just want to touch on the community a little bit the home brewing community um have you seen home brewers move over to beer maker and if so like what was the reception like yeah no that is such an amazing question 
Um, people are very mixed on these. Okay. There's there's the camp of the classic homebrewer who's saying like, you know, like this is this is not right. Um, you know, if if you're not scrubbing your pots and you know boiling your wort and managing your mash temperatures, then you're not brewing. You're taking yeah. Get off my lawn. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so there's that Toronto people, and you know, and I I don't think beer maker will ever. Um, truly convinced that Toronto to come over and try uh, doing it in this more automated way. But what sure. we have found is there are people who do that. They love it, but they also understand that beer brewing is an incredibly laborious process with very strict adherence to sanitation and time and process. And doing that, it's very time intensive. It's very draining and it can take an entire day of your life which, granted, I'm a home brewer too, and I love being on my back deck making beer with my friends. COVID's changed that, obviously. But, you know, so that part of the process, people love and they'll continue to do. But if they want to experiment with the new recipe, it's a lot easier to use a machine that you can set it up in five minutes, hit go, mm -hmm. and see if that's something you want to scale up to your 10, 15, 20 gallon batch that you have or system that you have in your basement yeah. or in your garage so we have that that's one of our, the people you know one of the, the the types of brewers who have really um gravitated towards a beer maker and then we have the let's call it the retired brewer who um they you know their life got busy they started having families they got a new job now they're traveling a lot and they just don't have time for the hobby that they love and Beer Maker allows sure. them to bring that hobby back into their life, which I'm really excited oh, that's about. That's cool. And then there's yeah. the final group, which are the people who have always been on the fence. They've wanted to brew, but they've seen how much it takes in terms of equipment and time and effort, knowledge, complexity, risk, all of that stuff. And then they can try beer making for the first time in a device that's guaranteed to give them good beer. So yeah, that that's the camp that I'm from. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and it's really cool too because we've got this phenomenal group on Facebook where all of the those groups of people are together in this beer makers owners group, and they're all helping each other. It's usually the new newcomers are like, "Wow, I'm you know I've just brewed these two IPAs kits, and now I want to make a change to it. How would you recommend I get more orange out of this recipe?" And then you yeah. have the people who have been doing it for years and like, oh, if you want to try orange, you can try either going the route where you actually put oranges in it. And this is how you can do it. Or you can try a different hop, like sub out your Amarillo hop, which is a little more lemon. And you can use a hop like Citra, which has more of those orange um, overtones. Okay. So it's, it's amazing to watch those groups of people begin interacting together. Okay, that's awesome. That's all, and actually, that kind of uh, uh, goes to my next question, which was like, "How has the reception been from the home brewing community at large?" You kind of broke that down for us already. Um, so, uh, so what made you want to? So, what is as a home brewer? I'm kind of curious as to like what made you look at your homebrew setup and say, "You know what? This needs this needs Alexa." Uh, so, like, what what was that process like? Yeah. So, I think um, it, it really started with where our, our company was before Beer Maker. We make craft beer brewing equipment. We also make equipment for home brewers. And a lot of our equipment has to do with temperature fermentation in traditional 
homebrew size batches and pilot batches for breweries. Um, and, you know, we would begin describing what we did to regular people who just love beer, which frankly are way more than people who actually make beer. So, right. you know, we'd just be having regular conversations about what we do. And they're like, man, that sounds really cool. But I don't brew beer. It's like, well, <laughs> why don't you brew beer? And then they would list out the reasons. And it was usually one of four. Because you're too complex. Um, there's too much equipment involved. There's too much time involved. And then there is a risk that the beer would just turn out bad. And... So what Those are all very good, very good arguments against it. <laughs> exactly right. So now, what was really nice about this is we were able to take the core technology that we developed for craft brewing pilot systems and bring that level of control into a countertop brewing system. We had to make a number of other innovations to, in order to fit it down and the full process down into that compact package. But you know, we it really started with just having hundreds of conversations with people who wanted to make beer but couldn't. So we saw that that there was this really big need in the market for something that was actually easy because there are a lot of these um, brewing systems that um, have attempted to do this, but they didn't actually make the process any easier. They didn't make mm -hmm. the process any shorter or they didn't make the process any more fun. And, you know, so we came at this with the approach of, we have the ability to handle all of the grunt work for you and let you focus on the real fun part of brewing, which is playing with new ingredients and honestly making beer. You like, you made this thing in your house and now you're drinking it. And, and it went through the same process that commercial breweries go through to make their beer. So it's a very, it's a very uh, wonderful, um, wonderful experience to give to somebody who has never has never done it before nice so um what have you had any beer maker users that have i hesitate to use graduated but graduated up to their own homebrew setup from there i mean like what what's how hard is it to and, and i again i don't want to say that beer maker is not a real process but like how how hard is it to transfer from like beer maker to brewing your own stuff without the use of a beer maker brew homebrew system so there we've had a lot of people tell us the opposite of you know i'm a brewer um i've been brewing for 20 years um beer maker has broken me I, I, I will not go back to my traditional <laughs> brewing method, which I mean, okay. I, obviously I love hearing that, but you know, the, the flip side of that is we do have a lot of people who say like, yeah, this is great to make a gallon or a 12 pack at a time, but I need to make more. I want mm -hmm. to make more. Um, so, you know, while we, we've gotten, we've gotten people who've discussed that with us, we're also uh, pretty new. You know, we've only been shipping since November of, of this past year. And okay. um, so I, I think time will tell on how people really do graduate up and out of this product if that is if that is such a, a route for them. Or if it's something where instead of going out and buying all of the, the equipment to do uh, more beer, if it's something where you just want to pick up a second beer maker and then you can continue iterating more on different recipes and styles on you know easily so yeah. i mean it's a great question and if they do graduate up as you as it as luck would have it you happen to know a company that can provide that equipment for um for people that want to 
for, for people that want to do homebrew. I mean, the way I kind of look at Beer Maker is I'm going to hold this up. I mean, my viewers won't see it, but this is a Go Cube. And uh, I t I've talked about this on the podcast before. This is a Bluetooth connected Rubik's Cube. And like, I can solve this with the use of the app, but if you hand me a normal Rubik's Cube, I got nothing. <laughs> so I'm, I kind of see Beer Maker in that same kind of. In, in that same kind of echelon as to like, I guess we can call it um, app-assisted products. Um, so, so that's really uh, that's really great. So, what's next beer, for beer maker? Where are you? Where do you go from here? Do you make a bigger beer maker? Do you make new recipes? Where does that go? Right. So the I think the direction that we go is we are we're, we're really trying to expand out our resources for making new recipes as a user to say like mm -hmm. I want to. You know, I want to make, um, you know, uh, let's call it the, a hazy blueberry milkshake IPA. You know, I want I want our company to to have the resources available. So that is not only an easy process, but it becomes an automatic process where they say, I've built this recipe. I put it in, you know, I built it into the app. And now that becomes this this its own packaged piece where they can then share it to their friends and then mm -hmm. they can have these community brews and you know where you get you get feedback based on your recipes inside. So I think there are there are so many incredibly exciting social features because let's like I mean beer is social. You know the reason that beer has become so popular is because we love doing it together with our friends. And it's yeah. been a real challenge during covid for that not to be part of you know, the daily, the daily routines for people. And we're trying to find better ways that we can use the technology that we've developed to connect more people together over this medium that is, is, you know, thousands of years old. So that's, that's really the next step is getting, getting our platform to the point where it becomes this ubiquitous environment for exploring and sharing and engaging with beer that you have made yourself. That's amazing. And actually, I like the idea of sharing out your recipes. Like, I just made this really awesome thing. Now you can do the exact same thing. And and so Beer Maker does have a sharing capability built into it so that you can, you know, like share a link or something or shoot an email to somebody with a, with a custom recipe in it. Yeah, exactly. Well, we don't have that yet. And that's one of the oh, things okay. that we're building into it. And that's what's next. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. So, in other words, what you're saying is you answered my question. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> now I just need to pay attention to the questions I'm asking. Well, that's amazing. Um, um, so, um, all right, great. So, um, Aaron, uh, if my uh, when my listeners hear about Beer Maker, they're obviously going to go crazy about it. So, where can they where can they look you up? Where can they find out about more about Beer Maker? The best place is beermaker.com. B e e r m k r dot com. Awesome, awesome. And as someone coming calling from Benefit of the Dowd, I, I'm going to wish you the best of luck in your branding problem because <laughs> I bet you're going to get a lot of people uh, not searching for M MKR. So anyway, so it is B-E-E-R-M-K-R.com. Go check that out. Check out Beer Maker. And uh, Aaron, thank you very much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'm just kidding. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Aaron Walls of Beer Maker for coming on and chatting with us about his passion. And hopefully his passion can be your passion. But 
personally, I'll be sticking to scotch. By the way, that was the full interview that just aired, so I'll have to find another way to love my patrons for this interview. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes, but most of all, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.